Happy New Year, everybody. 2024 is off and running. Sikaris and Price returning full-time. Coming to you from the Wall Center downtown, at least one of us. Don't forget about the Western Wall Center as well at YVR, though. Fabulous dining at the apron. There's nothing in the fridge at home when you land at YVR. So just eat well before you go home. Check out the Western Wall Center at YBR. I'm Blake Price, Jeff Patterson in for the vacationing. Matt Sikaris, he's back next week. And we are both the presentation of the Applewood Auto Group. Applewood Nissan in Surrey has your favorites. The Rogue and the Cash Cut. Perfect for driving in BC. The 2023 is still around with financing rates from 3.99% on the Rogue. 4.49% on the cash guy. Go check it out. At the Richmond Auto Mall, it's Applewood Nissan in Richmond. Uh, guys, so good to be back. Grady Sass pushing buttons, conducting things. And uh, 2024 is officially off and running. Happy New Year. Yeah, to you as well. But where were you guys? I was in here uh, on New Year's Eve, the studio. I thought it was Sakaris and Price New Year's party. I brought uh, noisemakers and party favors. And it was just me and the yellow dog fridge so we had a good time but i was, uh, was going to say there are worse things to happen to you than <laughs> you alone with a, a yellow dog fridge um yeah no uh i we, we had a pretty sedate new year's eve or anybody have plans did you do anything oh god no those days are uh, well behind me it was uh, as low-key as you could imagine uh, that's more my style these days uh but nice christmas break uh, although i have to admit like it really with the weather it does feel strange like i know it was yeah. christmas time I, I got that part of it but it just it didn't feel like like when it's eight degrees ten degrees again i got up to 14 degrees at some point in parts of metro vancouver over the over the break so uh, i don't know i mean i love the uh romanticism of a white christmas but uh obviously that wasn't gonna happen but uh, i do like the fact that uh, i haven't had to even contemplate looking for the snow shovel yet this year I'm sitting in Pemberton and it's just green everywhere. It, like it, it, which is very, very odd. So uh, skiing has not been awesome, but um, have been able to make it work at the very least. So that's good. Uh, hopefully all of you listeners have been able to find something fun to do, despite the lack of snow pretty much everywhere in BC. Um, and uh, you actually didn't have much uh, Canuck action to keep you warm and cozy over the holidays as well. Selfishly speaking, Jeff, it, it worked better for us, I think, and that we sort of felt like we got a little bit more of a holiday with the Canucks not in action. I was a little bit worried about how it would affect um, their play on the ice, and we'll get to that in just a second, but ultimately they get a big win over Ottawa and uh, and are no worse for wear. With that win over Ottawa, though, it leads us to our – our poll question with 51 points already, but a tougher schedule ahead. Will the Canucks reach 100 points on the season? It's a yes or no question. Log on to the socials and cast your vote. Uh, let us know what you think, but uh, we'll get to the ins and outs of the game in, in just a second. But overall, um, it allows us a chance to sort of do that year in review. 51 points, not yet at the halfway mark of the season. You can, you know, extrapolate here. They're well over 100 points on the season projection-wise. So even with the degree of difficulty coming up, uh, ramping up for the second half of the season, Jeff, it still looks pretty good for them to get to 100 points, doesn't it? Oh, there's Blake going with the old uh, standard, will the Canucks be a 100-point team poll Positivity again. again. I know. <laughs> it's my hallmark. Uh, you know, the math is there. Like, they're on 113-point pace through yeah. 37 games they crested the 50 point mark up to 51 with the win over the ottawa senators 
I, it, it seems hard to believe that they wouldn't be a hundred point team now, but I do throw the caveat. I mean, uh, we all know that games do get tougher over the second half of the season. There's the trade deadline. Will the Canucks be involved? Will some of those teams around them? Uh, obviously some teams are going to load up here. You know, I guess I just, the one thing that I come back to is they haven't played the really good teams all that well. They have feasted on the bottom feeders this year. And you have to do that to yeah. be in the you know the top of the standings and to be a 100-point team. I, I was looking at their schedule. Of their final 27 games, 12. So not quite half, but not far off. 12 are against just four really good teams. All of the four games against the LA Kings, three against the Stanley Cup champion Vegas Golden Knights, three against the Winnipeg Jets, who might be the, the hottest and best team in the NHL that nobody's talking about right now. They give up absolutely nothing, and they still have two left with the Colorado Avalanche. So those are going to be tough. I mean, will they win some of them? Yeah, they better. Um, they better not get skunked uh, over a dozen games against the really good teams. But, you know, I do think that the pace probably slows down. And the other part is, you know, their stars have been completely healthy, and I'll knock on wood for them. Because uh, I'm certainly not wishing that, but uh, other teams have gone through some adversity in that regard. Uh, and that's one thing the Vancouver Canucks just haven't. Uh, you know, a year ago, obviously, Thatcher Demko uh, out for a long stretch. And a couple of years ago, it was Elias Pettersson. Uh, but all of their top guys have been completely healthy. Can that continue? Will it continue? And I think that will factor in to their overall success over uh, the second half of the season. Well, they, they shook off the... Lost to the Philadelphia Flyers last week with the uh, 6-3 win over the Senators at home on Tuesday night. Uh, on the strength, though, of a five-goal first period. Now, where are you on the, should we critique the final 40 or not? Because, you know, and I don't think Rick Tockett would probably admit this into a microphone, but it is kind of tough to play with a, after a five-goal first. You, yeah. you know you're probably good to go for a victory. Hey, a four-goal first period, probably not enough. Like To me, that's the line of can you put your feet up or not. I think with a 5 nothing lead and 40 minutes left to play, you are tempted to put your feet up, which the Canucks kind of did for stretches uh, to start both the second and the third periods, uh, allowing the sense to sort of feel like they're still in this a little bit. But, I, I, I mean, how much do you critique the way that that game finished up for the Canucks? Uh, I, I'm not going to. I'm not going to crush them over that. Uh, they did enough good in the first period, I think, to build that lead. And like I'm with you. This is a team that hung a 10 spot on San Jose not that long ago. You're up 5 nothing after you've already chased the goaltender. That had no impact. They come back and they score a power play goal to make it 5. It had the makings of pushing double digits again. And so, uh, you know, in some ways, maybe the best thing that happened was the Senators scored the goal early in the second period just to give them a little bit of life and belief and that they you know, didn't pack their tent and go quietly for the night. Now, did it ever get dicey? I don't think so. Like in the third period, would you like the Canucks to have the puck a little bit more and push? Uh, perhaps. But, man, it reminded me a lot of the night that Roberto Luongo was placed in the Ring of Honor uh, last month. You know, they built a 4-0 lead on Florida – they got outshot 15 to one in the third period, but the lead was never in danger. The Canucks did a pretty decent job of keeping the Panthers to the outside. Thatcher Demko didn't have to be great that night. He didn't have to be great last night. He made some saves, but ultimately I think that they had done enough in that first period to build a five, nothing lead that you're right. Like it is, that's some of the hardest hockey to play to keep that intensity level up against a team that you know, just doesn't have it in the Ottawa senators. So 
Uh, I, I, there have been some nights, the Philadelphia one, I mean, there haven't been many, but there have been some nights where I think you can question the 60 minute performance. I, I just think you have to be mindful that again, they're, they're going to face better teams where they won't be able to get away with a 20 minute effort, but uh, I'm not going to dump on them for the way the, the final 40 went last night against Ottawa. Well, I, I think for some of the critics, if there are people that are critical of the way the game finished, I, I think they have to remember that, you know, for the last 10 years when the Canucks were playing well at the second half of a game, um, trying to come back into a game only to lose, uh, you know, a lot of those same critics would be saying, oh, that's score effects. They they were looking good, but the other team right. had a big lead. Uh, well, score effects works both ways. If you've got the lead, there are going to be score effects. So you, you kind of, the score effects when, when the Canucks were the trailing team were always thrown out as garbage stats because it didn't matter just score effects. Well, I think you got to do the same when you're, the team that's leading as well you and now i think what you could say jeff is that five nothing lead was been you know a, the product of a couple of really good bounces as oh, well should should goodness. that only have been a three nothing lead i guess maybe but then they also missed a couple of breakaways in the game as well i mean you can sort of argue this game uh left and right yeah i mean for the people that keep waiting for the pdo bubble to burst and then the connects go and just score some of the most bizarre goals that uh, they have scored all season long uh, the Ian Cole goal, I like that. It was a good four check. They worked the puck D to D in the shot. And uh, I laughed that uh, the Canucks had a, an article up on their website about New Year's resolutions. And Ian Cole was like, just want a goal uh, and breaks a 90-game goal drought. But, uh, again, they did a lot of good on that one, net front presence, taking the eyes of the goaltender away. But then the bounces started for them. And Pia Suter off the end glass. But nice play there. Some awareness yep. to glove yep. it down and stuff it home. And then, you know, I love uh, Elias Pettersson. And we're starting to see this a bunch in hockey, not just the Michigans, but McDavid scored a goal in LA the other night. He scored a couple where these guys recognize that banking it in off the goaltender is a plausible, you know, I mean, it's a way to create scoring opportunities. And, and Patterson saw his uh, window open there and, you know, he had to go around the net and tuck it in himself. But, uh, you know, that was a bit of a bizarre goal. Obviously, you know, JT Miller has been struggling a little bit in the goal scoring department, the double doink and in and then P.S. Suter uh, with the sort of P.S. resistance uh, to seal the win. I mean, the the 55 foot bouncer that uh, skips over the glove of of Corpus Allo. So, you know, yeah, I mean, did they use up a month's worth of bounces last night? Maybe. Uh, <laughs> but certainly the bounces have been going their way all season long. But but I do think you work to create some of your chances. And the fact that you score five in a first period tells you that you spent a lot of time in the offensive zone with the puck and getting it to the net and, you know, some good things happen. So not going to hold the bounces against them, but, uh, you know, they're not going to have a lot of nights like that where that many pucks take crazy hops and find their way into the opponent's net. They were also the better team on the judges' cars, you're right, yeah. uh, in that yeah. first period as well. Uh, you've been tracking Thatcher Demko's goals against a little bit because he had uh, given up or the Canucks had at least back-to-back four-goal games. And Demko had been hemorrhaging some goals as well. Um, it, funny, you know, he he can look pretty darn good earlier in the season with fewer goals. He actually thought he played pretty well last night um, despite the three goals put up on his uh, on his name. Yeah, uh, you go back to the game in Dallas just before Christmas, uh, 4-3 overtime loss. I didn't like any of the goals, quite frankly, that went in. There were no bad goals, but in a one-goal game that's decided in overtime and he gives up four, I just I wanted to save somewhere along the line there. And I think he has raised the, the bar by which we judge him, and I'm sure he wasn't thrilled that he gave up four and they lost there. 
And then I was a little surprised. I kind of thought that they'd go with Casey DeSmith in that final game before Christmas at home against San Jose and allow Demko to extend his Christmas break. He plays against the Sharks. He gives up four more there. And then we saw DeSmith go against the Flyers. So Thatcher Demko had a 10-day rest without game action, a chance to work with Ian Clark and just try to fine-tune things. And he made some stops last night. Uh, the save that he makes late in the game was it off uh, Thomas Shabbat. Yeah, it's 6-3, so it wasn't going to swing the outcome of the game. But uh, I think for a confidence boost, and you know, Thatcher Demko wants to believe that he can stop everything that comes his way. Uh, he made a nice stop off, off uh, Giroux after uh, the Senators had opened the scoring in the second period as well. So there were some saves there. And, and look, Ottawa shot the Canucks 29-11 to over the final two periods. So Demko was busy. And they're going to need him to be at the top of the game. His game is they head out on this road trip now. Uh, only one back-to-back the rest of this month, New York, uh, Rangers, and Islanders. So there's no travel involved there. So I'll be curious about the workload. Uh, we've seen Casey DeSmith kind of sneak up and get uh, a few uh, starts that maybe he's earned with his performance. But is that also reflective of where Thatcher Demko's game is? So uh, that's one of the things I'm going to be watching here this month on a seven-game road trip. You know, what kind of goaltending split are we going to see? But ultimately, Thatcher Demko keeps delivering wins for the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, you know, three more goals get past him last night. So the goals against average, not necessarily where you want it to be, but I think he's seven, one and one now in his last nine decisions. And you cannot argue with that. A uh, tough story for PDG. Uh, Di Giuseppe gets back into the lineup, but it only lasts a handful of, or not even a handful of shifts, a few shifts before he's uh, off the ice, limping down the tunnel and injured. I mean, that didn't look good, Jeff. It didn't look like the, in the fact that he doesn't return. That doesn't speak to a guy that's ready to go Thursday versus the Blues. So I suspect, and as we record this, no AHL call-up for the Canucks um, just yet. But there's uh, an opportunity for somebody to uh, to grab a, at least a roster spot, if not a lineup spot. Yeah, and it happened so early in the game. Uh, DJ Seppi had three shifts. It forced Rick Tockett, and credit to the coaching staff, that's not always easy, and and the players themselves, when you're down to 11 forwards and you're wheeling different guys through uh, line combinations, great opportunity for Pia Suter, who, again, has shown his worth, and I know he missed the 14 games with the groin injury, but he's played 23, he's up to eight goals now, uh, well on pace for a career high in that regard, but he's just been so versatile, and he's been so good defensively through it all, but starts on the season on that third line with Dakota Joshua and Connor Garland. Uh, then when he came back from injury and there was the Kuzmenko issues up top, you know, they promote him for a couple of games and didn't look out of place. And, you know, now he's sort of settled into a fourth line role. So I'm kind of curious what this means for Pia Suter. And, you know, is he going to get another opportunity higher in the lineup? Uh, I wonder if maybe this is an opportunity to move Ilya Mikheyev off Pedersen's line to the wing with Miller and Besser, which is where I kind of thought he should have started the season. Uh, to give that line a defensive conscience. And so there are going to be some opportunities here. But yeah, unfortunate for Phil DiGiuseppe, uh, started the year in that top six role. We all kind of questioned on a good team, you know, should he really be there? His play slipped to the point that he came out of the lineup a handful of times, but he was back there on that line with Miller and Besser. So opportunity was knocking and he only got three shifts. And now it sounds like he's going to miss uh, a little bit of time. So Nils Amon was a healthy forward. This might be a chance for him to get in the lineup and then, yeah, it'd be interesting to see, especially with them heading out on a seven-game trip that takes them uh, all the way to the New York area and Pittsburgh. Uh, you would think that uh, it may not be just one, but they may call up two forwards. They've got an extra spot on the roster. They've been running with 22 guys on the roster. Obviously, Carson Soucy is going to get activated here, but what does that mean for Mark Friedman? So lots of moving parts roster-wise 
for the Vancouver Canucks as they head out on this seven-game trip that starts on Thursday in St. Louis. I mean, we thought that uh, I think Bluger was going to be the fourth-line forward and that Suter would be the third-line guy because he's blessed with more skill, theoretically. Um, you know, I, I think maybe you have to readjust that, don't you, a little bit because of obviously how great that third line's been playing, the Garland line, as we like to call it, naming it yeah. after the winger sometimes. Uh, just because Bluger's not necessarily the engine there, but the three of those guys have played so well um, last night, maybe their biggest off night, although they were still had some good shifts. Sooner has skill. Like his yeah. first goal obviously proves that, but other goals as well this season. And the, the production is undeniable even throughout his career. Like his scoring rate has been pretty high going back to his rookie year. I mean, I, I have been the guy that has been most vocal, I feel, about saying, hey, guys are succeeding in their roles. Leave them in their roles. But just because th there seems to be a flash of skill there, I, I almost wonder if he is worth trying alongside Pedersen and whomever. Uh, I don't know that I love Suter, Kuzmenko, and Pedersen. But, yeah. um, you know, I wonder if there is a top six role for him as a winger, despite the fact he's uh, more notably a center. Yeah, and we saw it uh, for a handful of games at the very least out on that uh, trip that yep. took them to Minnesota and Chicago and, and into Nashville. And yeah, I mean, the guy's hockey IQ is off the charts. Uh, I think that's what allows him to be so successful defensively. Been on the ice for two even strength goals against in 23 games. Like, so the chops are there defensively, but you're right. I mean, this is a guy that's scored 15 goals in, you know, all three of the years that he's been in the National Hockey League. And now he's at eight before the team's even at the midway mark. So there is some offense to his game. I'm with you. Just on the surface, uh, Rick Tockett loves his wall work and his board battles. A line of Patterson, Suter, Kuzmenko. I'm not sure exactly who's doing the, the dirty work on that line. But it also opens the door maybe for Nils Hoaglander, who you know, was the odd man out at practice uh, the last couple of days. And there was some question about whether he would play against the Senators. He was in the lineup. The other Nils was out. But his opportunity knocking for Niels Hoaglander to get back into that top six. Uh, the coach said, like, his play has slipped here in the last couple of weeks, and yet he's in double digits and goals. Uh, he has proven himself to be a legitimate National Hockey Leaguer. So, yeah, kind of interesting to see where the dust is all going to, or when the dust settles here, uh, where the cards are going to fall and the way that the Vancouver Canucks uh, ice their lineup uh, to start the trip in St. Louis. We'll uh, we'll deal with the seven game road trip a little bit more on uh, our next show here, but um, it is uh, that I mean you could see this being a pretty pivotal seven game set. I mean, are, are you okay with a 500 road trip on this seven game? I think I'm raising the bar for this group, and yeah. they've raised it for themselves. Uh, I look at the road trip, and I, I'd like to think. Uh, four and three. So four wins is a, a bare minimum. I, I'm taking a sort of a broader look at the month as a whole 13 games. They've already put a win in the bank against Ottawa. So seven on the road and then a five game homestand that takes them into the all-star break. I, I think they have to be looking at going like seven, four and two, which, you know, it's seven wins and six losses, but managing a couple of the losses, get a single point out of them. It, the math adds up. If, if they can go seven, four and two for the month, that'll give them 16 more points. They've already got two, so they need 14 more now. That would get them to 65 points, Blake, at the All-Star break, which is, again, it just it's hard to wrap your mind around things with where the expectations were for this group at the outset of the season and the last couple of years that we've all uh, watched and documented. But 65 points at the All-Star break, and then essentially they'd be on easy street. 30 points over their remaining 33 games 
would get them to 95. And I think 95 absolutely gets them into the playoffs. And then it's a question of, you know, can they get to the century mark and beyond? So uh, I think if they can continue to have a good month and look, they play the Blue Jackets twice, the Sabres, uh, the Blackhawks, Arizona, yeah, Rangers are going to be tough. All three of the New York teams on the road, those will be difficult, but they get the Blues here. I, I think there are wins, certainly, to be had for the Vancouver Canucks in this month, and uh, I just think you apply it to the road trip. I, I'd like to think uh, a bare minimum of four victories uh, with the way this group is going and scoring. So, yeah, I'm going to raise the bar a little bit for them, and if they don't come home with four victories, I think that'll be a bit of a disappointing road trip. A reminder that in 2015-16, they had 75 points on the season never mind 65 at the all-star break 69 points the year after that yeah. 69 points for 82 games that were not in covid years here folks 69 points on the season back in 2016 2017 and then the year after that just 73 points so you know you're, you're talking about them passing those three yearly totals sometime in february if the if the if the current rate continues which is uh that's something, uh, g- given what we have seen uh, over the last 10 years or so. All-star uh, uh, nominations or all-star players begin to be announced tomorrow. Uh, one from each team, which is a debate for another day. But, you know, does every team need to be involved? I would argue, yes. It's sh- it's not a scientific game, folks. It's just to promote the teams. Um, I think one is probably palatable. But who is the first Canuck? announced you can make arguments across the board here jeff who do you think gets the nod on thursday yeah and just a point of business it's one from each of the 32 teams and then 12 more will be added they say by a fan vote i think the league kind of steers the fan vote to make sure that uh the real stars of the game because uh, we've seen it with mcdavid and drysidle if it's you know one from each team you want to make sure that you know two of the best players find their way there and they're not uh, somehow overlooked in fan voting and ballot stuffing uh, i think quinn hughes is going to be the guy from the league perspective for the vancouver canucks i mean doing the things that he has done the season that he has had obviously jt miller and and elias Pettersson in the top 10 in scoring brock besser has been among the league leaders in goals although matthews uh, starting to pull away a little bit there but still uh, an incredible season for brock besser and you got thatcher demko too uh, gotta have some goaltenders at the all-star weekend but I just think he's the captain. Uh, I assume that uh, Jack will be there. There'll be, you know, the the Hughes brothers, two of them at the very least. Um, yeah, I, I, my hunch is that Quinn Hughes will be the the league pick for the Vancouver Canucks. I think you're right. My second pick would be Demko, just because you're right. You need goalies. You need. I think they want name goalies rather than the bevy of guys in the top 10 for save percentage right now that, you know, you don't necessarily recognize as brand name goalie. So he'd be my second uh, best odds, but you're right. Captain, all that sort of stuff. It just sort of fits for, uh, for Quinn Hughes to be that. So we'll find that out for sure. But the, the, the fascinating question is like the guys that we just laid out there. I mean, they all, you can make a strong case for, all oh, yeah. of them, but there's no way I, are the Canucks going to have three at this year's all-star game? Will they only have two? Um, you know, so, like, yeah, there's gonna be two two guys that are disappointed. Like, I, I think they probably get three there would be my guess, but uh, my my guess is Besser's probably not going. Um, but who's the other guy? Who's the other guy that's well, not going? Patterson went last year to Florida. My hunch is he'd be okay with taking a pass and actually getting an entire right. All Star yeah. break 
Uh, you know, JT Miller is a guy that, you know, again, there, there's sort of this idea that he's a really good player, but is he an all-star? Uh, certainly hasn't represented the Vancouver Canucks at the all-star weekend. So uh, I don't know if he'd want to make the trek, uh, if he's got family plans, whatever. But the uh, guy's been riding high of, you know, top five for uh, the entire season among uh, NHL scorers. Like, I, I, I'd be surprised if JT Miller didn't get uh, a nod. But again, if it comes down to a fan vote, like are Canuck fans stuffing the ballot box for JT Miller? Are they going to be able to do it at a rate other, like higher than other teams around the league if uh, fans elsewhere mount campaigns? So uh, that's why I say like I'm always a little skeptical that it's truly a fan vote and that uh, there isn't somebody in a an office at NHL.com that's kind of monitoring the way that uh, the fan voting is going. But yeah, it's going to be fascinating. I think you know a lot of other years based solely on statistics, you, know, you could probably make a case for a guy like Philip Hironik, just again based on his point total among defenders, but Aronik's not in consideration for this year's All-Star game. But again, it just speaks to the offensive year that the Vancouver Canucks are having as the highest scoring team in the National Hockey League. All right, that's it for the Canuck talk, but uh, staying with hockey, Canada loses to the Czech Republic in the quarterfinal of the World Juniors. Uh, On a final minute heartbreaker, they had to battle back to even get it to that point, though, at 2-2. Always harder for them in Europe. It just just is. Uh, And, and, you know, that that gives you some perspective, I think, for, you know, Canada running roughshod a lot of the times when we're hosting. Well, all those other teams are doing the same travel that the Canadian team is doing right now. So that's maybe why Canada does so well, is that the other teams do have the tough travel. but, hey, Finland upset Slovakia as well. There were some upsets there. Sweden and the U.S. are off to the semifinals. Um, I mean, I think we expected more than this. I mean, I, I knew – I think everybody knew that Sweden and the U.S. were going to be really good. But, Jeff, that should have meant a semifinal loss, not a quarterfinal loss. Yeah, I mean, expectation has to be that uh, any team that we send, even if it's one that's missing uh, the likes of Conor Bedard and uh, you know, look at the guys that are in the NHL. I mean, Zach Benson, obviously, Fantilli – um, we are a hockey producing nation. Like even every year, there's a couple of guys in the NHL that don't get the, the green light. Uh, we still send what should be a, a competitive team. And so, yeah, when you go out in the quarterfinals, highly disappointing. Uh, I, I do think that there are questions that have to be asked about uh, the coaching, some of the you know, tactics that were used and just uh, uh, the approach. But ultimately it comes down to uh, the fact that Canada could only score two goals in an elimination game and i saw a statistic uh, earlier today cam robinson from elite prospects a friend of the program uh had tweeted out a quote from somebody in the hockey canada executive group that said in that game alone canada hockey canada had charted that uh, our guys gave up 30 shooting opportunities to pass the puck and i mean the proof's kind of in the pudding they scored twice and that was it. They dominated. I mean, they, they controlled play, but the name of the game is how many did you put in the in the net? And at the end of the game, I mean, the, the game-winning goal is a bit of a fluky bounce. We talked about all the bounces the Canucks got. Um, you know, but you boil it down to one shot can win and you take your chances. And uh, unfortunately for Canada, out uh, before they get to even a sniff at a medal. So, yeah, I mean, it's disappointing anytime there's an early end to the tournament, but uh uh, next year's another year back in Canada on Canadian soil in Ottawa, and we'll see. Uh, but I've seen a lot of noise too, like about uh, you know again this idea of 
taking role players and maybe, you know, leaving some of the, just the flat out most skilled players available and asking them to adapt to play some roles, but at least you have them there and at your disposal. And instead it comes back. And I think anytime you're out early, it it does open the door to to at least questioning uh, the roster selection process. Yeah. And especially when goal scoring is the issue, Uh, no goals versus Sweden, uh, just two versus the Czechs, Uh, maybe some high end skill in the lineup uh would have been nice uh they had high end skill macklin celebrini albeit on a 17 year old's back and speaking of back will he be back is he going to get Connor bedard treatment where he's in the national hockey league next year and not released for this tournament um or is macklin celebrini enough of a and i i don't want to paint this the wrong way enough of a rung down if you will from Connor bedard can he can he be regarded in the same level that he's not going to be allowed back um, that he's even in the NHL to begin with. I mean, I, we'll have to see how it all pans out here for Macklin Celebrini, but you can bet there is a at least a sliver of him. I'm sure he'd love to be in the Conor Bedard situation, scoring enough at the NHL level next year where he doesn't get released. But I'm sure there's a sliver of, that's my one taste. That's my one taste is a quarterfinal loss. Yeah, and I saw that uh, you know from a number of the players that you know some of them, many of them, this is uh, the one crack that they're going to have. And... You know, they felt they let the country down. Uh, with Celebrini, you're right. Like Connor Bedard, no doubt he was going to be in the NHL this year and was never going to be considered for, for Canada. I would think Celebrini falls more in that category of, I would expect the first overall pick to be in the National Hockey League, uh, certainly when you look at, you know, the teams that are going to have the highest draft lottery odds, San Jose, uh, the Chicago Blackhawks again, perhaps. Uh, you know, I think they would find room for the first overall pick. But I also think, he would be the kind of first overall pick that those questions would be asked as we worked our way through the first couple of months of the season. Will that NHL team release him to play for world junior, you know, in a world junior in Canada again, with a chance to go back and, and get it right. So I, I can't sit here and rule out the idea of Macklin Celebrini not being available to team Canada next year. Yeah, a much easier tournament to send a guy to uh, less travel. He, he can bounce right back into the lineup. You know, if, uh, if a team at the bottom is, is uh, in need of him quickly sooner rather than later. So you're right. Um, better circumstances for Macklin Celebrini to be loaned back next year. Uh, also with hockey, the PWHL debut, uh, it has gone off without a hitch in terms of the quality of the hockey games. Uh, some great goals for viral video, which is good for them. Uh, road teams, unfortunately, winning both games. Just you don't get to see that huge crescendo of a of a home win. But over 8,000 fans in attendance in Ottawa is a great scene. I think they probably could have done better in Toronto, but... Uh, uh, the lineups were big, and it's it's in a smaller rink as it is. But overall, not bad. I, I think the the only hitches I did see were that um, not a ton of merch was available, Jeff. And I don't love the merch anyway. They didn't they didn't come up with logos for any of right. the teams, which I know they kind of had to throw the league together here over six months. But I think you had time to come up with logos for the teams. Uh, they didn't go that route. Um, so that now they're asking people to buy jerseys that just say the team name on it or not even the team name the city name on them like are those going to stand a year from now when they actually have logos and team names i don't know um but overall the hockey was good uh, and and there's some really nice goals and and it's off and running and let's hope that it uh let's hope it continues yeah and i watched uh, a fair bit of the game on new year's day now uh, of course new year's day winter classic in the nhl so 
Uh, they had to carve out a time slot, you know, noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific is that yeah. ideal. I don't know what the optimal time for puck drop is. That's what it was uh, for the first game. Uh, the fact that it was carried on CBC, TSN, and Sportsnet, like certainly the, the network partners doing their part to expose the product to the people that uh, obviously weren't there at uh, Old Maple Leaf Gardens to watch the game. Uh, you know, Toronto goaltending there again, give up four. <laughs> um, I was waiting to see that uh, narrative. I didn't see a lot of it, but no, I mean, over, I, I just thought, uh, you know, the product looked good, product presentation, uh, people were into it. Uh, it's you know, great to see so many young fans, uh, particularly young girls, but there were lots of young boys uh, in attendance as well. Uh, family, uh, you know, it's a family entertainment product. Uh, and as you said, not as much fanfare for the second game in Ottawa, but uh, yeah, up over 8,000. And I see the game in Minnesota. The first game there uh, is trending in that direction as well. So uh, I would think across the board, uh, you know, the from the league management level down, uh, they'd be have to be pretty damn excited uh, with the rollout here and just the response and the reaction uh, from the hockey world. Now we'll see. Uh, can they sustain, you know, it's always easy to build the hype for the, the first couple. Uh, can it sustain? But uh, I would say based on week one, yeah, off to a nice start. Got to be careful with expansion too, right? I mean, yes. uh, you know, like the talent pool at the elite level, how big is that in women's hockey right now? It'll grow. It's definitely going to grow, but just cool your jets on expansion talk, yeah. I would hope, and and uh, let it percolate like it is uh, for the time being, but uh, a nice start indeed. And selfishly speaking, hey, we'd love to see it in Vancouver, obviously, but um, it, it'll be a while before we see that, I think. Don't forget, we're coming to you from the Wall Center downtown and our studio built by Arbor Lee. At least Jeff is. Uh, I'm out on the road. I'll be back in studio with you next week alongside the vacation. Uh, Matt Sikaris, if you want to get a hold of us at all, uh, send us the feedback into the Great Clips inbox, 778-402-9680 to send us a text at Great Clips, the official hair salon of the National Hockey League. Let's uh, tell you what's coming up today in the menu presented by Greta Bar and Grill. That's ours and Canucks Army's home for food, drinks, and watching the game pregame and post-game, head to Greta and walk on off to the game as well if you've got tickets for that affair as well. Hashtag the best and worst of Twitter just around the corner. Some soccer transfer news to tell you about as well as uh, a milestone hit for JT Miller. We'll get into that. Frank Saravalli from the Daily Faceoff will join with his uh, take on what's happened with the Canucks over the uh, first half or almost the first half of the season and the, certainly the calendar year of 2023 uh, what are the chances of early moves for the Vancouver Canucks and how comparable are Nylander and Pedersen Frank will get into all that and a whole bunch more plus some uh, moves for the Whitecaps potentially uh, and definitely some moves for the Lions so we'll get into all that before we're done here on the show as well. Time for hashtags, the best and worst of Twitter. And there's a presentation Apple with Jeff, you are the guest here, so I'll let you kick us all off. Sure, this one comes from Mike Russo, hockey writer in Minnesota at Russo Hockey. Minnesota Wild and Minnesota could learn as early as Friday if they've won the bid to host the 2026 World Juniors. Appears Minnesota and Seattle are the finalists. If Mini gets the event, games likely at XL Energy Center 
and Mariucci Arena. Members of the Minnesota Organizing Committee are in Sweden at this year's World Juniors. So sounds like it's down to two and two pretty intriguing hockey markets. I mean, we've seen Seattle, the rise of the Kraken, the Winter Classic earlier this week. They support junior hockey in both Seattle and Everett. And I think people in these parts would love to see another World Juniors out here. But doesn't it just get Minnesota? It feels right. Like, how has it not been in Minnesota? Uh, you know, when it's been in the U.S., we've seen it in Buffalo a, a handful of times. But uh, I don't know if I'm handicapping that race, Blake. I, I'd have to think that Minnesota would have the inside edge. Minnesota is the uh, easier one to project as a success. But I'll say this: just in case hockey interest in Seattle falls off a cliff, in case this whole hockey experiment in Seattle doesn't work, you probably only have a small window. Yeah. To capitalize on that, like, do you have to try to capitalize on the Seattle window now when you know that it's kind of in the forefront? But, you know, an NBA city down the road, does it, are they as intrigued by the World Juniors with an NBA schedule playing around them? So uh, while Minnesota is probably more deserving, yes, I, I think unequivocally is more deserving. I wonder if just the circumstances means that it might be Seattle's time over Minnesota's. Yeah, I mean, there certainly is a window of opportunity there. I just think when, you know, USA Hockey and its ties to college hockey and taking so many NCAA players uh, to the World Juniors, and you think of Minnesota, the state of Minnesota, uh, and so many strong college hockey programs there. So uh, yeah. maybe by the end of the week, we find next year in Ottawa, 2026 up for grabs coming to the old US of A. At 38 Godfrey, Stephen Godfrey from the Washington Post. Try to remember all the talented and hardworking people ESPN laid off right before they paid Pat McAfee to pay Aaron Rodgers to come on ESPN TV to drop Epstein conspiracy theories about other Disney-paid TV talent. Uh, this is after, of course, uh, Aaron Rodgers suggested that Jimmy Kimmel was going to be on the Jeffrey Epstein list, which is yeah. now going to be released on January 22nd. I think something to that effect. Um, all because Kimmel made an Aaron Rodgers joke on his late night talk show. And that was Aaron Rodgers way to, to fight back is to suggest that Kimmel was on the Epstein lift. I mean, you, you, you know, what wins is the truth. And, you know, a, a quick court case could pretty much settle this. And Kimmel suggested that in his retort on all this, that, you know, we, we could just settle this in court where, you know, the truth ultimately pays out. And I mean, I, I, I'd have to think that Jimmy Kimmel's pretty confident that he's not going to be on that <laughs> upcoming list when he, when it's revealed. So that's a pretty easy lawsuit to, to tie up uh, with a bow there uh, for Aaron Rodgers, who's doing everything to uh, ensure that uh, people cheer against him, I think next season. Yeah. And not that Jimmy Kimmel generally needs material, but my goodness, like for him to start 2024 with this, uh, and he was having a field day, obviously, uh, already. And I think that, uh, you know, he's uh, made a meal out of Trump for the last uh, decade yes. or so. So uh, I would imagine that uh, he turns his attention to Aaron Rodgers and these allegations. So, yeah, uh, be interesting to see where that one ultimately leads. Uh, I've got one from the NHL's PR department. Connor Hellebuck made 32 saves last night to extend his personal point streak to 10 games, dating back to December the 2nd. He's 8 and 2 matches the Jets slash Thrashers franchise record for a goaltender. And it's interesting. It kind of feels like the hockey world is sleeping on the Jets. I know you're not uh, with your ties to Winnipeg, but uh, uh, kind of quietly going about their business. They lose Kyle Connor, and all they do is win hockey games here. And up until Christmas, 
Thatcher Demko was sort of the presumptive front runner for the Vesna, was leading in wins in a lot of statistical categories. If you look right now, though, Connor Hellebuck has reeled him in basically across the board. And I do wonder uh, if we're going to have now a legitimate two horse race over the second half of the season here. And will Thatcher Demko be able to hold up his end of the bargain? Because Connor Hellebuck does not look like he is letting up or letting in uh, anytime soon here. No, and that's what we talked about, about the, that uh, Vezina race was that, you know, great that, you know, name your uh, no-name goaltender was having a nice start to the season. But ultimately, I think voters tend to go towards a brand name. And Thatcher Demko's uh, a brand name over a lot of the other guys that were near the top of the list. Well, Connor Hellebuck's a brand name. And, yeah. and so it's just going to come down to performance now, I think, if those are the two guys that end up you know, uh, skating away with uh, the Vezina votes from here on in. So going to be very, very interesting. We'll see where it goes. And it comes Uh, back to, just quickly, it comes back to this conversation about uh, best on best and what an embarrassment of riches for U.S. uh, in goal with Hellebuck, Demko, Jake Ottinger, Jeremy Swayman. Can we get one of these guys to change his passport even for like a week? They can go five, six deep at goal, Uh, honestly, the States. It's uh yeah, there's uh, we're this close to a royal commission on goaltending. This close at, at Fabrizio Romano, uh, soccer insider Tejon Buchanan to Inter. Here we go. Deal in place with Club Bruges on seven million euro fixed fee plus add-ons. Personal terms agreed two weeks ago, and Tejon's set to travel to Milano tomorrow. Medical tests on Thursday. Uh, this was uh, yesterday's uh, tweet, so he'll be traveling today. Agreement is complete, set to be sealed. So we've already put him on the list of you know Canadians playing in Europe, but now Canadians playing in the top leagues in Europe. It's official for Tejon Buchanan, who um, you know at Club Bruges I think was fine, but you know he uh, he needed to be at the next level to truly know if he was at the next level, and he's going to have a hell of an opportunity with a powerhouse team, uh, you know, in a in a big five league. It's going to be very interesting, and Canadian soccer might have needed this. It's uh, it's stagnated a little bit. The last yep. twelve months have not been great for Canadian men's soccer and their individual performances. So maybe this is uh, going to motivate a, one player in the group here to, to to have a good season. Yeah, and I think too. I mean, look what Alfonso did uh, by going to to Baron. Yeah. Uh, but like as you said, at the grassroots, like for the kids, like you know that next wave of what's possible to see more Canadians getting opportunities like that. So, uh, yeah, a little shot in the arm, I suppose, and uh, we'll see how it all works out. Uh, I've got one that uh, brings us back a little closer to home here uh, with the Canucks. This one comes from uh, at Stat Center. Fewest games to reach the 50-point mark in a season by a Canucks player. JT Miller got to 50 last night. Mm-hmm. 37 games. I guess he had a goal and an assist, so he had two points to get to 50. So JT Miller gets there in 37 games. Two off the franchise record. Pavel got to 50 points in 35 games back in 92-93. McGilney and Daniel Sedin both did it in 36. But again, like it just it tracks back to uh, almost every game out, the way that this team has scored goals this season. Uh, it's kept websites like Stat Center and some of the others uh, in business, it feels like, because it just – every. I mean, Early in the season, it was just mind-boggling stat after mind-boggling stat about Quinn Hughes. But here's JT Miller doing things that only Pavel Bure, Alex McGillney, and Daniel Sedin have done faster and by just a hair uh, in their times with the Vancouver Canucks. It's, uh, I mean, uh, 
he's an interesting study. JT Miller is uh, because of his contract um, and his acquisition cost and all that. He has had an interesting Canucks career. Um, nobody's ever really been fully anti JT Miller, maybe a handful of people. But there's always just been a sort of a just been a caveat. There's been an asterisk. And is he playing his way out of that asterisk this season, Jeff? Like, are, 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 is he proving some doubters wrong here or at least easing their concerns about the contract? Hey, there's still probably a couple bad years left. But I guess the point is if the first handful of years are spectacular enough, you're okay with those bad years at the end. Yeah, I mean, we all knew that in the early going, certainly the first year of this new extension, you would expect that a guy that was a 99-point player a couple of years ago and may exceed that now. And look, I, when he got to 99, I thought, good on him. He secured the bag, negotiated off a 99-point season. I, I, quite frankly, I didn't think he would get back there. I just didn't. I, you know, And, yeah. and if he's a point-a-game guy for the next bunch of years for the Canucks, like, that's still incredible. It's a very valuable piece and taking on more of a matchup role for him to be doing what he's done here in the first half. And with a power play, Blake, that's gone ice cold for the last month or so. Like, you know, they feasted on the power play in the early going, but that hasn't been the case here of late. Got the, his bounce on the goal last night. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I do think that it's sort of forced people to uh, reshape their opinions, reframe the conversation around JT Miller. Of course, over the back half of a lengthy big money contract, you know, the jury's still out on can value be extracted, but the cap going up and, you know, there's no reason to think that he can't provide at the very, I'd say five good seasons out of uh, this contract, and he's certainly uh, off to a good start with the year that he's having right now. It's uh, it's been an absolute revelation to this point uh, for for JT Miller, and uh, we'll see if he can do it against the tougher opposition as we've talked about with the schedule coming up, because that's when the rubber is going to meet the road. I'm out. Do you have uh, one more to add in? No, done. That's hashtags for today. Harrison Price live from the Wall Center, a presentation of the Applewood Auto Group and Applewood Mitsubishi in the Richmond Auto Mall. I'd love to get you down to take the Mitsubishi Outlander GT for a test drive. The 2024s are in with rates starting from 2.99%. You drive one, you won't turn away. It is a spectacular ride, what I've been in for the last couple of months as well. Check it out at Applewood. Mitsubishi in the Richmond Auto Mall. It's all good at Applewood. Joining us now from the Frankly Speaking podcast and the daily face-off for the one and only Frank Valley. How are you, sir? I'm pretty good. Not as good as Matt getting a little Cabo Wabo right now, but uh, <laughs> oh. I, I love that. I don't know if I want pictures or I yeah. don't want pictures. No, I was too. actually thinking about that. I was like, yeah. Matt, shirtless on a beach? Ugh. Shirtless everywhere. The man does not like shirts uh, at the best of times. So he seems it's... like a uh, a. Uh, I don't even know if this is appropriate. He seems like a, a very hairy. Is he a hairy guy? I mean, it's it's just it's everything you'd you'd expect. It's everything okay. you'd expect. Yeah, yeah. It's happy New Year to all our uh, viewers and listeners. Just <laughs> yeah, we exactly. Make this what conversation. A, what a the... what a scene. <laughs> <laughs> Thankfully, we don't know it. It's just left to our wild imaginations. Uh, Frank, uh, talk to us about what you've seen from the uh, Vancouver Canucks here in the calendar year of 2023. I mean, some of the point totals for if we're actually talking the calendar year, uh, Pedersen and JT Miller, both 100 point players over what effectively amounts to a full season's worth of hockey. And now 
as we talk about this season as well, it's all tracking well. The words like contender are being tossed about. Do you, uh, do you believe it? I'm not quite there yet on true Stanley Cup contender. Like, I, I'm thinking, like, I usually have a group of five to six teams that are in that mix. And I think the Canucks are just outside that bubble. But here's the thing. I think they can get there. I think if they continue to make smart moves as they have, if they find a way to add to this team as we get closer to March 8th, now 65 days away, that I could see them breaking into that group because of how consistent they've been, because of how hard they work, and because of the, I think, game-changing talent, game-breaking talent at all three positions on the ice. Like They've got the ability to really be difference makers, and they've really found some nice depth pieces. There's a a loss to the Philadelphia Flyers there in the holidays that that brings up some issues, I think, for Canucks fans. And yet it's just one loss. How much do you read into the fact that a team like Philly has is, is suppressed the scoring of the Canucks for so long this season uh, with a 2 nothing win earlier this year as well? There's a, there, I mean, everybody's extrapolating, okay, there's a recipe there, the heavy play, the, the relentlessness of the Flyers. Uh, you know, is there a learning there? Or can you get lost in just a couple of games there? I think you can get lost in a couple games. I, I don't think the the Canucks are going to run into the Flyers in the playoffs, so I don't, I don't think that's going to be a worry. Hmm. Um, although, could you imagine for a second the theater of John Tortorella against the oh. Canucks in a final? I mean, you might have another Delicious. riot. You might have another riot. <laughs> yes. um, but in, in all seriousness, um, I think people kind of get lost in the minutia of it. I mean... I, I, you know, God love their souls, but I, I, I was on with, with harm and quads a few weeks ago when there was kind of a dip in Pedersen's play and they were like, what's wrong with this guy? And I'm like, guys, he has five points in two games. What are we talking about here? And so it, it's always healthy for some perspective to take a step back. And maybe, you know, for someone like me that isn't living, breathing, sleeping in the market on a daily basis that for whatever reason, you know, in van, you guys seem to chew yourselves up on, Oh, is there a recipe here with the Flyers, or is it just that the Canucks, there are certain nights in an 82 game season where you That's don't right. show up? And I do think that maybe if you take a step back towards that first trip to Philly back in October and you say, you remember the comments from Rick Tockett after the game and how he kind of really laid into his team, maybe uh, on the list of three or five turning points this year, that one, that wake up call might be on it. But this time around in January with the sort of long track record that we've seen from the Canucks, or I should say much larger sample size, when you make enough deposits every now and again, you get to make a withdrawal and that happens. Frank, with Jim Rutherford's history, and now we've seen that that sort of uh, approach has been passed along to Patrick Elvine in a time when trades have been hard to come by and the Canucks have been active and they've already made the Zadorov deal but just looking at the way Jim Rutherford has operated, trying to get out in front of paying market prices, do you anticipate the Canucks getting a jump on the market again here if this management group truly believes in the group that they've put uh, on the ice? I do, and I, I think that they've been probably pretty active, one of the more active teams in making calls to try and you know, work through their list to see who's available and who isn't. That's going to crystallize and change a bit in the next three to four weeks. 
Um, you know, I know the connection has always been what, what about the Pittsburgh Penguins? What, you know, is there a player from that team that, you know, Patrick Alvin and Jim Rutherford would like to pluck? I think watching the Penguins, for instance, will be one of the more fascinating teams heading into the deadline. Kyle Dubas basically said a number of weeks ago that they have six weeks until early February to get their act together. They're meandering along through this season and, and not really breaking through, although their underlying metrics seem to be pretty good, their goal differential, all those things that you would typically look for, and they've won a few games in a row, and then all of a sudden you look at the standings and they haven't really made up much ground and solidified a playoff spot. So I think to bring it back to Van, um, there I, I don't really have any doubt in my mind that they're going to be active. My big question would be, there's a difference between being active and really being aggressive with the chips that you have to move. And that part, I don't really have clear line of sight yet on what exactly the MO of this Canucks front office team will be. Do they think that what they've accomplished to this point has been nice and we'll see how they, you know, react when they're in the pressure cooker of the playoffs or is, is this front office going to, you know, kind of throw caution to the wind and, trade you know those massive assets that you do have in your in your arsenal to try and really improve this team to go after it this year i would say that you know there's a lot of people in the league that would tend to believe you need to go through a process you need to have some playoff entries and failures before you can really break through and win but I mean, I think there's also a pretty long list of teams that didn't realize exactly what they had in front of them and the opportunity that they had that let that fall by the wayside. So also, just also we- a lot of UFAs on this team, right, guys? I mean, like whether or not they can run it back for another year as this group, that's the other question. And whether or not I think that affects, isn't it, Frank, whether or not they invest in in their own team as a, as a contender, because they got all these UFAs. The exact chemistry of this team is going to change for next season. Well, and that's the other part of it to consider is if there is a five or seven year plan, where are they in terms of what they've accomplished to this point? I'd say it's been a lot. I'd say the aggressive nature that they've shown to this point has been really impressive, but a lot of that was kind of maneuvering around the edges, you know, fixing some of the salary cap issues that you've had with the contracts that you tried to unload or offload, then bringing in some some quality depth pieces at prices that aren't going to break the bank. And I, I've said it before, stacking incremental you know, 5%, 3% wins on top of each other really adds up to something, but it's a far cry from being over-the-top aggressive, which I still think they have some other things to figure out first. Just want to double back to the Penguins for a second here as it pertains to the Canucks because uh, Jake Gensel seems to be at the top of a lot of fans' wish lists, mm-hmm. and yet and he's depending on restricted free agent, leading the Penguins in scoring, but how does it mesh with uh, you go out and get Eric Carlson last summer, you got Sid and you got Gino, and trying to squeeze whatever you can in the season that Sid's having as well. Like, Is Jake Gensel going to be on the trade market? I mean, tell me in three weeks where the Penguins are in the standings. Have they broken through and become a playoff team. And if not, I think you absolutely have to begin plucking off pieces and moving someone like Jake Gensel. He turns 30 next October. Um, he's someone that um, has been in a, you know, really close, a borderline elite player in this league for a, a long stretch of time. 
And if you're the Penguins and you've now had a second consecutive season where you miss the playoffs with the year that Crosby has had, with a healthy Crosby and Malkin and the addition of uh, Eric Carlson on the back end and you still don't make it, you're going to sign Jake Gensel for six, seven, eight years for what? To be the best player on the 30th place team in the league as opposed to going out and trading him and beginning to recoup assets to turn this thing over. There aren't very many trade ships that this team has. He would be one of them, and you'd have to maximize value while you can because I don't see any point in signing him to a long-term deal. What are the Coyotes this year? I was looking at them in the standings. They're, I mean, the Oilers win all these games and only to be tied with the Coyotes, um, who are sniffing at a playoff spot. We're used to them being sellers around this time. Do they know what they are? They've been saying for a while that they want to be a playoff team this year. They went out and made all the moves that they did because they wanted to take a step closer to being a playoff team this year. I think part of that is market pressure. They realize that they're trying to, to put down stakes finally in an arena and they're not going to be able to do that if they have another season that's, again, meandering in the desert. Um, so they, they're trying. They're pushing. Um, I, I think that there's an opportunity that exists for Arizona to be a playoff team this year. They've got an arsenal of picks that they could move uh, in order to bring in a couple decent depth pieces without taking away some of the runway from the young players that they've got in their lineup. Um, but to me, it's really going to come down to Arizona, Edmonton, and Minnesota for those three, those, sorry, those two wild card spots. I see it as three for two. Um, notice I didn't have the Blues in there. I didn't have the Kraken, who have been on a heater. I didn't have the Nashville Predators in there. I, I still, this mushy middle that exists in the West is is really confounding because when you look at St. Louis, who I think is ready to trade off pieces and has been engaged in some pretty significant dialogue, that St. Louis and Nashville have kind of admitted that they're not looking to compete this year. You should be trying to move as many pieces as you can to, to recoup value if you're not going for it. I understand the idea of not wanting to cut the legs off of your own team at the same time, but it should theoretically open up some holes for you know, Edmonton is right there already and Arizona and Minnesota to get in that mix. And uh, in terms of the long-term longevity of that team there, there was some talk of a deadline coming up that they've got to hit in order to to convince the NHL they're the ones to, to keep that team there? The clock is ticking. There's no doubt. Um, I believe it's January 31st that they the goalposts have been moving. Some believed originally it was December 31st. But I, I think they've got a finite window of time to not just present um, a, a full plan, but like a concrete plan of, hey, steel is going in the ground, shovels are going in the ground on this date. And without that information, I don't know how the NHL could possibly keep this team playing in a 4,500-seat arena as a revenue suck for the rest of the league indefinitely.
Hockey is so much better when the superstars are going off. And Connor McDavid, five points last night in the Oilers' win over the Flyers. Nathan McKinnon gets the overtime winner in Colorado. Uh, since the middle of November, Frank, those two guys have sort of separated themselves. I know Kucherov's right there and, and is probably going to be there in the season that he's having. But how much do you think Connor McDavid finding his game, getting on a roll, fuels Nathan McKinnon to stay in front of him in the battle for the Art Ross? Probably a good bit. And by the way, I know he's not going to win the Art Ross, but don't sleep on Artemi Panarin in the heart yeah. sweepstakes. I don't know that there's been a more impactful player in terms of his team's success than Panarin has been for the Rangers this year, which I look, anything can happen in the playoffs. But if I was sitting on a pile of money, I would be betting New York Rangers futures to be playing in the Stanley cup final. I'd be betting specific matchups. Um, it's also why I don't bet. So, um, <laughs> But going back to that that star battle between McDavid and McKinnon, I mean, how ridiculous McDavid last night. Five primary points, crosses over 900 for his career. On paper, he's the fifth fastest in NHL history to 900, but it's actually way more impressive when you consider, you know, putting everyone on a level playing field. Like, no disrespect to Peter Stasny or Mike Bossy, but they were piling up points at a time when there was seven to eight goals scored per game. I tweeted it today. You can find it on my feed, but Paul Paduti does an excellent job math wise of putting everyone on a level ice surface. And if you actually go and look back historically and level everyone out based on scoring eras, McDavid is really kind of the third fastest player in NHL history to 900 points. He's almost neck and neck with Mario Lemieux. It just, it kind of, and he's ahead of Sidney Crosby. It goes to show you how special he's been. And McKinnon, I mean, he has an NHL record now for longest point streak to open up uh, a season at home. Like he's just, he's been on fire all year. And I love his drive and determination. And it's going to be a battle, I think, until the very end. You sat out this year's Winter Classic. I don't know how much of it you watched. If so, I'm curious uh, your thoughts of hockey in a baseball stadium in the Pacific Northwest. But on top of that, and look, the Seattle Kraken, you mentioned it, uh, they found their form again. Like, they were given up for dead three weeks ago, but they're uh, uh, packing on points now, and, and we'll see where it goes from there. I, I just wonder if anybody at the league, uh, you know, if you could sit them down, truth serum and everything else, like, would somebody at the league like Vegas to have put on a better show at the Winter Classic? you got your Stanley Cup champs. Uh, it's a game that is designed to attract, you know, some new eyeballs to the sport. You get the the champs in the game, and uh, again, credit to Seattle. They did what they had to do. They win it in the shutout, and Joey Decord's a nice story there. But uh, you know, as games go, that outdoor game I didn't think was necessarily a classic. Well, maybe the game itself, but I thought everything else about it, and I did watch, the aesthetics were kind of unreal. Like the attention to detail that the league puts into it. Uh, Seattle has clearly become a hockey market. Um, I, I was just there a few weeks ago for the board of governors meeting. As you roll by some local watering holes, you see tons of Seattle Kraken neon signs and it's become a thing there. And that I think is important to celebrate. Um, but I mean, at least Vegas showed up with the Elvis walk-off <laughs> stuff. I mean, that's, that's really kind of the that's only enough, time huh? they yeah. showed up in the game, but like, I mean, Mark Stone popping, I mean, here we go. Mark Stone popping some chest hair. I mean, that. what better than that? Like, that was awesome walking off the bus. 
now I've got visions of Sakaris in Elvis uniform for some reason. <laughs> I I don't know why. We, you've, you've, he would this, make it, a good Elvis, I think. He he. Well, not voice wise, opposite octaves. Uh, but uh, but you're right, posture wise. Uh, yeah, not bad at all. Um, it's uh, it, we're getting you that said much. It, close- not me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're getting that much closer. Uh, you have to think. You have to think somebody's going to break the dam here in the new year and, and make a significant player move, but um, maybe it comes right down to it. I mean, we've talked about the parody this year, Frank. It, it just might necessitate that determining, you know, buyers and sellers is going to take a few more weeks, huh? I, I really think that's what's holding it up. I think, you know, even just feeling around a team like the Calgary Flames, like I, they've been ready for a while now since the Zadarov trade to, to move other pieces, and no one's gotten serious yet. It's It's kind of like how I view the Pedersen and Nylander negotiations. Like te- yeah. those two teams are chomping at the bit to get these deals done. But when you're being slow played by the other party, there's really not much you can do. It's a two party transaction. And same thing with trades. Like, you know, it's great that Colorado can call uh, the flames and ask about Lindholm. And it's great that, you know, the, the Leafs can call and ask about Tanev, but until someone's really presenting a serious and significant offer, you're kind of stuck. Is there a point where either the Leafs with Nylander or the Canucks with Pedersen risk hurt feelings in all this, that they haven't backed up the Brinks truck or does it not matter when the Brinks truck arrives as long as it arrives? I don't, I don't even know that Brinks trucks haven't been ordered. Like how, (laughs) like that's the thing is like, I'm not, I don't, I'm not operating under any circumstance right now or, or knowledge that the Leafs and or Canucks have not acknowledged that they need to pay these players. Um, I think it's been in Pedersen's case, a, a grapple a bit over term um, in Nylander's case. Um, I, I, you know, I think part of him wonders, like, is is Toronto going to be the place? Should I go elsewhere? What what does that look like? I don't have any sense that that's the case with Pedersen, but I, I also don't think either guy is really in a rush to do anything. And it's just kind of focusing on putting up a monster season that will ultimately speak for itself. To the players' credit, both of those guys, I mean – Clearly, this isn't, I mean, it may be, uh, I'm sure it's in the back of their minds, but it's not affecting their play. And in fact, their play is just driving the the meter that much further, isn't it? And that's kind of what's the most impressive part about it. You can see so many guys crumble under the weight of this all-important year, and those two guys have been lights out. Frank, always a pleasure. Thanks for this. Uh, Happy New Year to you once again, and uh, enjoy what's to come here over the next little bit. We'll talk to you next week. Happy New Year, guys. So Harrison Bryce from the Wall Center presentation of the Applewood Auto Group and the Little Lions and the White Cat Finish up here, Jeff. Uh, first of all, on the good side of the return man, they have re-signed Terry Lincoln of the Lions Duo Fund. A handful or two of free agents that they would uh, probably like to bring back. But Terry Williams coming back to make sure that the return game is A-OK. But they are in the market for a backup quarterback as Dane Evans announces his retirement. As Farhan pointed out on Twitter, uh, he's the son of a coach. Perhaps that's in the future. I'm not saying with the Lions, just somewhere in the Canadian Football League. Um, 
but uh interesting he was he was needed at times for the lions last yeah uh, last year so uh they will have to go and find a new pivot yeah did a nice job too uh when vernon adams was down briefly and uh, you want a, a veteran guy that you can turn to that you know has had some starts at this level and so we'll see where the lions go of course all roads lead to bc place in november for gray cup here now that it's 2024 it's a great cup year uh so you would think that the bc lions would want some insurance for vernon adams and it'll be interesting to see how that affects uh, the way they go about building the roster uh, when you're the host team no guarantees obviously you got to work your way in but uh it is a big pot of gold there at the end of the rainbow for the lions the opportunity to be in a gray cup that they're hosting uh before we get to whitecaps news uh Let's go to former Whitecaps news. Did you see this? Wayne Rooney yeah. and Carl Robinson fired already from <laughs> Birmingham City. Um, one or two wins in 15 games, something like that. Um, just absolutely dreadful. Um, and they're out already. Uh, they were already replacements themselves. But their inability to get the job done, uh, the two came over, of course, from D.C. United in Major League Soccer. And Robbo uh, thought he had hitched his wagon to something good here with uh, Wayne Rooney. But uh, What a that, fascinating got... career, really. Like, oh. You step back and, and look at Robbo and the travels and the uh, travails, uh, if you will. A guy's been here, there, and everywhere. Um, meanwhile, on the other side, uh, in the actual Whitecaps news, you know, you have to be careful because foreign soccer reporting can get quite out there, uh, flamboyant. Uh, you know, the uh, truth is not necessarily super close to what's being printed. But uh, you can find reports of both Pedro Vite and Andres Kubis flying the coop from mm. Whitecaps FC. Uh, Pedro Vite now has an interview in which he says that's not the case. I got two years left. I'm not going anywhere. Uh, there was nothing on Kubis just yet. Uh, but, you know, again, just because it was printed doesn't mean it's true. Um, but there's some talk about him heading back to Argentina to play once again. And that would be devastating for the Whitecaps if they lost to number six because he's been such a safety net for them defensively. And uh, he's, he's one of the top handful in the league for sure. So uh, we'll have to see if there's any truth to that. But uh, not, not a good sign. Um if uh, if a key player like that wants out of the Whitecaps. I, I suppose the good news is we'll find out soon enough because now that we've flipped the calendar, like doesn't their training camp start this week or next week? A few week weeks or... away, a couple weeks away, yeah. And they've got the Champions League game uh, first week right. of February, right? So they've, yeah. they've got to hit the ground running. It, yeah. It's unbelievable. Time for the Betway bets of the day. Jeff, where are you going with yours? Uh, college football national championship game. Uh, people, I think, still coming down from the high that was uh, New Year's Day and two incredible games. And obviously, the Washington Huskies prevail. Uh, they're going to take on Michigan, a heavyweight battle on Monday down in Houston. And Michigan is the favorite. You can get the Huskies, though, at plus 265 on the money line. Ooh, I, I quite enjoyed that game. Um, oh. it was nerve rattling at the end, obviously, <laughs> but uh, but it was fun enough. Um, not as enjoyable as the Canadian Czech Republic World Junior game, we touched on that earlier. But do you think the Czechs have momentum? Could they possibly make it two in a row against maybe the top two teams at the tournament? I know the USA uh team will have something to say about that, but it's Czechs versus Sweden's in the semi. 
and if you believe there is momentum, checks at 320 to take down the tree kroner. Those are your Betway bets of the day. Please play responsibly. Must be 19 years of age or older. Uh, Jeff, we'll do it all again tomorrow as the Canucks get set for this road trip and uh it should be a lot of fun to see if they've uh, if they've got the medal to compete on the road over the course of seven games thanks for this jeff we'll talk to you tomorrow and thanks for listening folks please do support the many sponsors you hear supporting local here in bc and we'll talk to you tomorrow